ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. listening to where the big boys play uh, as ever i'm here with chad say hi chad hey how's it going everybody uh and i'm also here with uh robber aka the atomic elbow hello um and uh just for those of you who who may not know who you are uh robert what is the atomic elbow i thought we'd mention it right now um, I, I had the brilliant idea of starting a print-only fanzine about professional wrestling in the year 2012, um, which, uh, for, for some strange reason, seems to work. Uh, people like it, I guess. Uh, you know. So I always said that I would keep doing it as, as long as people seem to still be interested. So as long as at least one person is asking about it, I'll, I've made the commitment. I'm going to keep doing it. So, uh, yeah, I do a print-based fanzine. I have a couple of, uh, of websites and Twitter things like everybody else in the world. So, uh, yeah, that's me. What sort of circulation does the fanzine have? You know, um, barely triple digits, maybe 100, 120 copies per issue. Um, you know, it's 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 getting bigger. That's and that's nothing to to complain about. That that, that seems to be the perfect size for me. So uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to say no to it getting larger. Hint. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm uh, I've yet to buy my issues, but uh, I'm uh, I've, I'm putting out there stuff I want for Christmas at the moment. Um, it's just uh, it's just that moment where I have to face my wife and say, look, this is what I want. This this here this <laughs> this wrestling fanzine. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird to ask for th- to, to ask for things that you actually want, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I, this is um, I, I'm holding out for uh, to get four issues at once. That's my plan. Um, well, the fourth issue is almost done. Um, I was I was writing on it today. Uh, we're we're very very close. I think uh, usually. Uh, when I say I'm almost done, that that's a week or so, maybe a week or two away. So I'm hoping to get it out by the end of the month. Great. Is it uh, is it quarterly, or is there any set schedule for it, Robert? Uh, I don't. Uh, it has turned out. Uh, I've only been doing it for a year, and I managed to get four issues out this year. So I think I've kind of backed myself into the corner of being quarterly, but in the beginning of every issue, I very clearly state that it's published whenever I feel like it. <laughs> Although now that now that I know people want to see it, which again I'm not complaining about, but there's kind of an obligation to get it out on more of a set schedule. So, yeah. And uh, d- what is the focus? I mean, is there any particular uh, era or um, type of promotion that you focus on in the main, or is it just anything and everything? It's, ab- it's there's absolutely no focus. I I, I try to uh, invite contributors that do not share my biases. 
Um, so it, it, it becomes a little more even-handed. Um, but as long as it's even tangentially related to professional wrestling, then, then it has a place in there. Great. Well, I, look for, I, I personally look forward to uh, uh, buying and uh, receiving my copies in, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, okay. Well, uh, we will talk more to Robert in a second. Uh, but first, there is some unfinished business from uh, last time. As, as you know, um, Chad was busy with work um, last time out with some unforeseen business, right, Chad? Um, yeah, um, I... Uh Typically, this is a down period for uh, my work in November and December, so the whole month of, uh, right up to the end of November, I'd pretty practically done nothing in the office, and then all of a sudden, I had a special project where I had to travel, and uh, so that was kind of unexpected. I was sorry to miss the show. Um, and uh, if, you, if you recall, at the, last, uh, at the end of the last episode, um, I did air some rather controversial comments uh, on uh, the much-haloed Sting versus Flair match. Um, and I, I also thought, for completeness' sake, it, we might as well have Chad's end-of-show awards uh, for the Clash uh, show, because you did say uh, over our instant messages, Chad, that you uh, you enjoyed Clash very much. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think... Um, I know in the last show you kind of talked about... Um, that uh, you thought I might be higher on the uh, Steam Flair mm. match than anybody else, and I may be, but uh, I'll get into my analysis on that in a second. But the overall class show as a whole, I think is a great show. Uh, it's two hours. Uh, for me, it flew by. Like, I'd seen the show, I know, at least four or five times in its entirety before, mm-hmm. and uh, I was able to sit down and watch it in one sitting. It flew by to me. It's, it's a real... Uh, Really fun show to me. And any anything in particular that you that makes it fun for you? Um, I I do like the variety. Um, I think the stuff that was bad was kept to a minimum. And uh, I mean the the first match is not a uh, certainly not a great match, but it's quick and it does have the uh, one uh, one f- uh, count stipulation. Uh, had precious slamming a two by four, which I enjoyed. Uh, the second, the second match, the uh, the Fantastics Midnight Express match. I think I'm higher on that match than both uh, you and Jason were. I think that's a really great match and one of my uh, favorite, probably uh, around ten minute matches of all time. I do think you could tell they were working at a, a higher level faster level they mixed in a lot of brawling with Mm. the uh, typical junior tag high spots Uh, so i really love that match and think it was in some ways kind of revolutionary uh the uh, barbed wire match there's again not much there but it was pretty quick and painless and uh, you did get some blood the uh, tag match i think is one of the most uh, classic uh, tag matches in history, honestly, uh, the only tag match that I can think of right offhand that's uh, in NWA and WCW that's up there with that tag match is the Enforcers versus Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat mm. uh, tag match from The Clash in 1991, in November of 1991 in Savannah. 
Uh, but th- it's just a classic style tag match with a huge pop at the end. And then uh, Sting Flair, I guess I can talk about my feelings on it now. I, I, I've always, uh, I mean, I've, I've liked, I wouldn't say, I never thought the match was a, a five-star classic. I know, I think you said Meltzer gave it four and three, four stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I never was that high on the match, uh, but I always thought it was very good. And even when I watched it this time, uh, I still thought it was very good, but it's kind of tough for me to uh, kind of put into words exactly what I thought about it. So I kind of just came up with the hypothesis that it's, in many ways, I think the uh, the best bad match in the history of wrestling. <laughs> and by that, by that, I mean uh, there's there's some curious uh, booking choices. I know they. They definitely wanted to put Sting over huge, but at this point in his career, him working 45 minutes uh, is asking a lot, especially with how much he led the match. Uh, there's some, you know, spottiness within the match. Not everything was certainly executed perfectly, uh, so you have that. That's kind of a detractor. And then the uh, the other thing that I was glad that you and Jason both honed in on was the uh, complete idiocy of the judging. Um, and how anybody unbiased could clearly say if it was a, a point basis that uh, Steam won. I don't. I don't even really know why they had the judging. Why they just didn't say it was a forty-five minute time limit or something, and then just call it a draw. That just seemed like an unnecessary kind of cheap bullshit uh, finish that didn't really satisfy anybody and kind of cheapened the match. But I do think it was very good, and I think there's very few matches you can point to in wrestling history where you can kind of unequivocally say that a person was made in that match. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's just these certain iconic matches where, like, a Steve Austin versus Bret Hart from WrestleMania 13, a a Jumbo Saruta, Mitsuhara Misawa from 6-8-1990, uh, even Hulk Hogan versus Iron Sheik from 1984. These are just certain kind of iconic matches. Yeah. And uh, I would put this one up there, uh, even though Sting versus Flair, business-wise, was disappointing throughout their career. Uh, I thought this was a great match to really plateau Sting uh, upwards towards the card, and it was definitely a, a stepping stone for him to have a uh, pretty much, I mean, he was kind of the baby face. Uh, face of the promotion for the next decade. Yeah. It, I mean, I mean, I do reckon, like, I do recognize why the match is historically important. But for me, it's um, it's just such a standard flair match. Where, um, and I mean, I, I said it last time, but uh, the, the the fact is, is that Sting works that match on top for about seventy five percent of the running time. And in 1988, he just doesn't have enough stuff to do to fill up that time. So there's a lot of repetition of the same spots again and again and again. It's not terribly interesting. I mean, w- would you agree with that? Or I, 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 def- I definitely think there's some uh, definite rants and repeat. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think obviously if it was like around 30 minutes, uh, it would have been better than 45 minutes. But I'm kind of, and I, I, I know in these podcasts I've talked about how I, I 
really can forego some execution uh, mishaps and some maybe lackluster action as long as a good story is conveyed. Mm-hmm. And putting aside the uh, judging fiasco, the actual story of the match of this young up-and-coming guy, you know, going toe-to-toe with the champion, I thought was really conveyed well. And so that's just kind of my mentality uh, that they really put, I think think Sting personally put a lot of effort in. I think I liked Flair's performance a whole lot more than you did. I thought he was... You know, I, th- I thought he did well uh, in his role in this match. He wasn't on top for a lot of the match, but when he was, I thought he was effective and did mix in a few things, uh, a lot of rope running, some kind of different submission-type spots to uh, to keep the time going. Robert, do you have any uh, thoughts on uh, Clash 1, especially that, that iconic match? You know, I may be the wrong guy to ask about this because I've never liked Sting. Um, I think that uh, I, I, for some reason I, I never saw him as having a definitive style. And I know that this is kind of the beginning of that arc. Um, I, I will say that the uh, the Clash match that that, uh, that Chad mentioned in Savannah, uh, I think that was Clash Seventeen. Uh, when you said that, basically everything that I was hearing kind of shut down because that is probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite match that I've ever seen. That That is spectacular, but that's not what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Flair and Sting is so formulaic at this point that going back and revisiting it, you kind of lose sense of the fact that this was special at the time. It's like listening to... Uh, an influential band like it's like listening to a Ramones record now well there have been hundreds of people who've done the same thing over and over and over but contextually if you were hearing it in 1978 1979 it was fresh it was new it was exciting and with the the addition of the time that you're going forward and looking back at it it loses a little bit of that luster and I think that's kind of uh, when I see these early sting matches or to be quite honest, most Sting matches, that's kind of the way I feel about it. I just never got, even even as a kid, why he was so special. Um, but I'll, I'll stop making, uh, <laughs> saying bad things about Sting now. Uh, it's quite topical, actually, because uh, literally for the past week, um, on pro wrestling only, there's been a, uh, I've given up on it now, but there's been a, a whole debate about whether Sting should be in uh, Meltzer's uh, Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, I've come to the conclusion that no case can be made for Sting at all. <laughs> um, I mean, he was he was on top. He was their top merchandise guy. He was, you know, the, the face of the company for so long. I have nothing but admiration and respect for the fact that he's never worked, uh, you know, for Vince. And I think to have had a career as huge as his without that is unique and in fact he's probably the only person on that level who can say that he he never you know went up to new york as as they would say yeah, uh, well, in the well, territory days well, he, he has that kind I'm, of moral uh that moral uh, uh string to his bow but apparently he's never really drawn in his life <laughs> well and also it 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 seems like he never 
this is and this is probably wrong, but my opinion and 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 I welcome the opportunity to see differently is that he never had a clearly defined style of his own. Uh, it changed depending on who he was in the ring with. You know, Ric Flair wrestles like Ric Flair, regardless of if, if he's facing Vader, if he's facing Hogan, if he's facing Sting, if he's facing Nikita Koloff. He, he is Ric Flair. And you can say that about a lot of these iconic wrestlers. You can say they have a clearly defined style, whether it's, uh, whether it's Jushin Thunder Liger or John Cena. They wrestle like Liger or Cena, but Sting, I think, changes up from you know he he doesn't he doesn't make it his own. I mean, sure he's got the splash and the Scorpion Deathlock and he's got the face paint, but but there's just something missing there that, that I never really latched onto. Any thoughts on that, Chad? Um, I mean, yeah, it's like a five-page debate that really <laughs> delves into intricate details. I will just say, uh, kind of the in uh, the Cliff Notes version, I just think, in a lot of ways, Sting, you know, he, he was definitely the victim of a ton of bad circumstances throughout his career. Uh, you know, up, up until, I mean, even when he was a huge draw in the Crow angle, the only, you know, tan- tangible evidence you see of him as a draw, that obviously didn't end well with the Starcade 97 finish. But in the same token, I, I don't think you can play the what-if game uh, in a Hall of Fame. And it, 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 it kind of is unfortunate and maybe unfair in some ways to Sting. But I, on the other side, I don't want to see him, you know, get in and have a pass just because, uh, you know, essentially he was the face of a promotion that failed in a lot of areas and failed to make and, money. And what about, Robert, is, what about Robert's idea that he has no discernible style of his own? I, th- I think that's a, that's a good point, uh, actually, that I haven't really thought of. Uh, while Robert was talking about that, I went through and uh, really thought about Sting's matches. And, and another thing with that, with Sting uh, in his matches, too, is it's it's very tough to remember kind of types of moves or certain uh, high points within his matches. Like Flair, you know, obviously has a repertoire of moves that we see in every match. Uh, even somebody like Vader, you got like stiff shots, the Vader bomb, uh, you know, a, yeah. a ton of kind of different types of things that he can do. Yeah. Sting, really, it's the Stinger Splash, the Scorpion a death lock, and then not a whole lot else um, I mean, kind of e- to go with that. Even someone like Bossman, you know, and we, we talked about Bossman quite a bit, but Bossman has got definite kind of signature Bossman moves that only he does, which is a style of his own. You know, the way he throws an uppercut or the way he does that move over the um, over the kind of bottom rope where he, you know, do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a definitive style that you couldn't point that is all his own um right but i think it's also interesting that chad mentioned the the one time that sting was drawing significantly was during the crow era but it's also worth noting that that is also the only time in his career that he didn't wrestle (laughs) yeah it's true so he was drawing but he wasn't wrestling when he was drawing so what what does that say yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we we have a huge amount 
more sting to come in the. Uh, oh no! In, 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 not only in this show, but also <laughs> in the coming, you know, for the next hundred shows that we do. Uh, yeah. I don't think we get a break from Sting now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it. it, it I I do. Th- th- my final thought is that um, I think the one time where uh, he kind of. D- I'm not going to say he develops a style of his own, but I think the time when he's most compelling for me is when he's working uh, from the bottom, when he's the when he's the clear underdog against Vader or against someone who's insane like Cactus Jack. Say, I, I think that's his best period as a worker, and like probably '92, '93, when he's in there against bigger opponents. Um, would you would you guys agree with that? that? That's probably the time where he's best as a worker, and is uh, where he's kind of the underdog champ, champ or challenger. I I think that's accurate. I think also that it's um, well. I keep saying things are interesting, but that's because they are. It's interesting to me that the the time that you kind of point out as his peak is when Flair left the company. So there had to be a clear, you know, Flair's not around to, to main event the pay-per-views anymore. So let's, let's get, let's get Sting in there. And uh, that's maybe a case could be made and, and I'm not the one to make it, but maybe a case could be made that Flair was holding him back. And when you, what you saw in 91 and 92 was Sting freed from the, the shadow of this, this huge presence in in NWA or WCW or whatever was going on at the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I look forward to to getting to that period. Um, just just before we move off this, uh, Chad, have you got your uh, end of show awards for Clash One? Yeah. <laughs> Very quickly. Uh, real quickly, um, kind of funny. Um, match of the night. I'm going with the tag match, the uh, Arn and Tully versus uh, Wyndham Luger tag match. As I stated, I think that's pretty much if uh, somebody said look up a Southern tag team match uh, and point me towards one that followed that style faithfully, I would point them towards that match uh, with a great, great ending. Uh, MVP, kind of funny that we've had this long discussion because I am on pick Steen uh, as my MVP of this show. Uh, just because, I mean, in in this show, he was thrown into the deep waters. And I do think this night he was able to swim and perform very well uh, and did a lot of goodwill for himself and for his career. Uh, so he is my MVP of the show. Uh, the Billy Graham Award, uh, I didn't think there was a clear cut. I did love Sandy Scott. I thought that was <laughs> genius, but I don't want to copy uh, that so I, w- I will go with the warlord just because in that tag match there was a couple of instances even though we didn't see a lot of him in that match because the camera was flying around so uh, frantically there was a couple of instances where I was able to pick up on him being out of position uh, essentially just hugging dusty not doing any offense uh, so he was pretty bad in that match so he will get my uh, least valuable performer award and it's funny you say that because i i think earlier this week i watched the warlord's career match against the rockers in uh january of 1990 i think uh i think he's pretty good in that match you've seen that match too right chad yeah yeah i, I would say if there's a better uh 
If there's a better Powers of Pain match, period, I have not seen it than that match. Okay, so before we get into Crockett Cup 88, um, Robert, whenever we have a guest in the hot seat for the first time, um, we we do like to, uh, you know, ask them to go through their history as a wrestling fan. So um, when did you start watching and to tell us your journey as a... Probably started watching wrestling um, th- with any sort of regularity that I can remember in 1988, um, which is, you know, I'm dating myself. Um, I'm kind of an old dude. But my dad was a huge fan, always was a huge fan. And so we would uh, gather around the TV every Saturday, um, championship, uh, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling, um, the stuff on anything on WTBS. Um, you know, we we were there. We were watching it. And then uh, we, you know, we would go to small shows in Georgia um, once every, you know, three to six months. We'd go to one of the shows at the Omni, and I kept up with it uh, as I grew up until probably the early '90s uh, when I went to college, and uh, you know, discovered um, that cable costs money, and uh, that there were record stores where I would rather spend that money. So I kind of fell out of it until. Um, Right around 95, uh, 94, 95, um, right around the time that Nitro started, a friend of mine uh, called me and said, hey, I know you uh, you like wrestling. There's this thing coming on called Nitro that you might want to check out. And, uh, and then I was back into it through the NWO stuff um, until about 99 when I got sick of softcore pornography and uh, ridiculously bad acting. And so I stop paying attention to it. And uh, then I'd say around 2004, 2005, I started watching some Japanese stuff and, um, you know, the, the internet became a bigger thing. And I started finding out about uh, American uh, independent promotions and, and kind of getting back into it at that point, a uh, little bit of ring of honor and, uh, you know, paying attention to what was going on in wrestling a little more rather than sitting in my house all by myself watching tapes that I had saved uh, from the 90s. So, um, you know, a couple periods in and out, the early 90s and uh, the early 2000s are are kind of dark spots for me. Uh, I've gone back and filled in some of that early 90s stuff, but really not a lot of interest in in looking at uh, what happened around the turn of the century. The the first issue of my fanzine, I I wrote a... uh, an article about uh, Halloween Havoc 2000 when I watched it for the first time last or this year, and um, I think I made the right decision by not paying attention to what was going on <laughs> around that time. Yeah, and I think the interest in the in, in the in the indies that you have is something that you have in common with Chad. I think uh, I think that's something that you both got into around the same sort of time, from what I can remember you saying as well, Chad. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, I think a lot of people, and I seem to say it every time, but I think a lot of people have a dark spot around 1994 sort of time. I wonder if anybody was watching wrestling in 1994. seems like um, there's a clear trajectory that, you know, people are fans sometime in the late 80s, early 90s, then they go off it for a while, and they come back in time for the Monday Night Wars. Then they may go off it again. Then they discover the internet and come back to wrestling. I think a lot of people have the same kind of the same dark spots and the same um, you know moment where they discover the internet and come back. In- well, so- I 
I also was for, fortunate um, at, the, at the time. I mean, it was it was always a presence because you know I lived in Georgia, and so all through college. Uh, I was aware of you know small shows going on in high school gymnasiums and stuff like that, and I would see posters and go, "Oh, look, Jake the Snake is wrestling at uh, you know the Clark Central High School gym. I should go check that out." But then I ultimately wound up, you know, not doing it. But but it it was uh, you know especially living in North Georgia as I still do and did then, it's always a presence because you know these guys for the most part at that time, especially all lived around here, even the ones that weren't working for WCW. And so they had to do something. And, and there was always um, a presence that was kind of tangentially, at least reminding me of, Hey, this is still going on. This is still something that, that happens. So I was fortunate at that time, but yeah, a real dark spot um, in the, in the early nineties. And then again, in the early two thousands for the, the two major companies, Oh, I, I, I guess I should mention that um, I never, never paid attention to the WWF. Oh, right, okay. So, so. you were always an NWA guy. Yes. Um, in fact, I still remember uh, hearing my dad tell the story of how angry he was when Vince McMahon showed up on Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I heard that at a young enough age that that turned me against it. And, and you know, of course, I, I was raised and, 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 and still it's it's hard to get rid of the habit of thinking of the WWF as cartoon wrestling. Mm. Uh, even though WCW gave us Arachnaman um, and uh, Norman the Lunatic, I still think of the WCW as wrestling and the WWF as cartoons. I know that's incorrect a lot of the time, but that's kind of hardwired into my brain just because of my dad's feelings on it and kind of how you know I grew up with the NWA being such a, a, a big thing. Chad, you're from Georgia too, right? Yeah, yeah. I lived, uh, I'm in uh, more west Georgia. Uh, Right now I live in Noonan, Georgia, which I don't know if Robert knows where that says. About 35 miles south of uh, Atlanta. Uh, But yeah, born and raised in uh, Carrollton, Georgia, which is about 50 miles west of Atlanta. Do you ever go to the Peach State wrestling shows? Yeah, Yeah, at the VFW down there. I have, uh, I was uh, Best thing. Yeah, if you go, if you go down there, Robert, we'll have to we'll have to meet up next time you're down yeah, there. Yeah, I have a couple of friends who um, who work for them. I'm friends with Nigel Sherrod. Um, I don't know if you know him. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I really think I mean, this is going to get on a real tangent, but uh, the kind of I think there's kind of been a, a good renaissance uh, in this kind of little metro atlanta area for wrestling i know uh in the early 2000s you had uh, nwa Wildside and not a whole lot else um and now there's a lot of uh people you know a lot of little promotions kind of sprinkled without with wrestlers that are known by nobody but are actually a very good you know very fundamentally sound uh can know, know how to work a crowd which you know still here in Georgia, you're, you're able to do that. You're not dealing with a completely uh, smart crowd. Uh, so they're able to work a crowd and get some experience. So it's, it's pretty enjoyable to go. Yeah, I, I love going to Carrollton. I've been to Peach State several times. Um, I like I, I like Rampage in middle Georgia and Warner Robins. Yeah. And I think 
yeah. they've, they've got some people. Luke Gallows works there. Kyle Matthews is an amazing wrestler. Uh, he's he's doing stuff there. Uh, AJ Steele, Murder One. I mean, it, it's really really good stuff uh, in Georgia. So. Yeah, and Chad, I was just going to ask: did, did, Is that mindset that Robert was talking about that he, he kind of inherited from his dad something that you recognize? Is that was that something that you? Uh, picked up from any of your folks, or that you? Yeah, I mean, as, as I talked about, um, kind of my trajectory as a fan is a little different because my dad, while he, uh, he he was definitely a more casual type fan, uh, he was not somebody that followed it closely. But my grandfather was a huge fan. I uh, went to the Cobb County Civic Center and all that for uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. So that that uh, thought process, though, even with my dad definitely prevailed because while I was always a, a WWF guy as a kid uh, starting out in wrestling uh, Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake characters like that, my dad was always drawn to more uh, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes and then even uh, in later years kind of like the Lord Steven Regal, I remember like, you know, he was probably one of my dad's favorite when I started watching WCW and I do think that kind of style of wrestling definitely persists, uh, even in my mindset a little bit, just because, like I said, when you go to these indie shows, even now you see the same kind of type structure of the matches for a lot of them uh, that are based off the Southern style. So you kind of just, you recognize that this is wrestling because you've just seen so much of it down here. Yeah, the, the I always say the the best way to judge the quality of a wrestling show is to count the number of old ladies in the front row, and the higher that number is, the better the show is that you're at. Hey, hey yeah, I mean, I mean they draw pretty good too. I mean, it, it's oh, kind yeah. of it's kind of I mean we've kind of gotten into this area where if you're a uh, I mean anybody that listens to this podcast quite frankly or goes to websites like pro wrestling only knows what ring of honor roh is but you know peach they they draw at least a couple hundred up to uh you know i was at a show earlier this year that was about 800 in attendance um you know that's more than ring of honor has drawn or as much as they draw to many of their shows uh so it's not like it's a few scattered fans and you know you're just watching it for your own enjoyment it's it's they still able to draw a decent sized crowd and you're talking about in a place like Carrollton which is a 30,000 town a 30,000 people town uh, so they're able to still draw consistently yeah i can't say enough good stuff about peach state wrestling alliance it's I have never had anything but fun every time I've been there, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. And, and to put that figure into context of 800, I mean, uh, at some points in '92 and '93, WCW were drawing less than you know 500 people to some of their house shows. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty respectable crowd, I think. Um, I, I, one thing I was going to mention about about the old women, Robert, is uh, have you ever seen any um, uh, mid south? Because if you like watching old women in the crowd, mid mid south especially from eighty three, eighty four, eighty five is fantastic for 
all women in the some some of the tapes that I have that that I've traded with with people because I'm one of those guys. Um, it, I've I've got some mid south stuff from later in the eighties, like eighty eight. 89 but you're absolutely right and and occasionally even through the uh the clashes uh and and some of the uh the nwa pay-per-views you can still see in the front row you know huge kind of masses of immobile white hair and and you know you just you, you fix your gaze on that because that that's where that's where the fun is being had um because nobody nobody is a better audience member than than the the elderly ladies in the crowd and and I and I'm not saying I'm not being disrespectful or pejorative when when I say this at all I think it's absolutely amazing that that you know that that is what these ladies love because usually especially in the South you know the older ladies are, are always quite proper and 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 well mannered but man you get a wrestler in front of them they don't like and it is it it is just it's like this monster has been unleashed and it's it's amazing it's really great if you if you if you do manage to to track down some of the um some of the earlier mid south stuff there's a particular old couple and i know chad i'm i'm pretty sure you've seen some of this footage there's a particular old couple who are like front center every show and they they must have gone every week and you can see the guy there he's sitting in his cowboy hat and he, he's got the old woman with him, and uh, I had a lot of fun watching those two guys. Um, we, <laughs> you know, uh, match after match. Anyway, let, shall we get into the Crockett Cup? We're, uh, we're. Um, that's yeah. That's yeah, what we're here for. <laughs> we're a good half an hour into this, and uh, there's still 15 matches to go. So, um, the Crockett Cup. Uh, this is the third um, Crockett Cup Senior Memorial Tag Team Tournament, and it happened in April. Uh, 22nd and 23rd in 1988 um, and it was split over two venues so I think the earlier rounds took place in uh, the Greenville Memorium, Memorial Auditorium uh, where's Greenville? South Carolina yeah. um, and the, uh, the second the kind of final um, portion of the show was in the Greensboro Coliseum um, and uh, as as this, I think we all watched the two-hour VHS version, right? I did, yeah. Yes, that is what I that is what I saw. So as this started, I don't know if either of you two guys have seen any soccer at all, uh, football as I call it. Um, but as this started, the Crockett Cup was featured quite prominently in the opening titles. And um, if you look up the UEFA Champions League trophy or the European Cup, as it's known. Um, the Crockett Cup and the European Cup look almost identical. Very, very similar uh, trophy design there, which uh, which is quite striking as this um, tape started. So Tony and uh, Jim Ross are on commentary again, and I'm I'm quite enjoying these two as a as a partnership. They work quite well. Although, frankly, I don't think Tony's bringing a lot to the table at this point. Uh, I'm quite enjoying Jim Ross on commentary, as we'll uh, as we'll get on to. Um, as the first match starts, I couldn't believe it. I almost marked out because Jimmy Valiant is back and he's still dancing and he's still quite over. Um, <laughs> what did you think when Jimmy Valiant came out, Chad? Because I know he's your favorite. It brought a smile to my face. I'm not going to lie. I think that's the perfect way to start a uh, videotape is to have Jimmy doing his little jig coming down to the ring, hugging people, slapping hands. So Meltzer actually says in the newsletter 
that Valiant has pretty much been banned from TV at this point, and he's been relegated to C team duty um, in uh, a few towns. Um, so it's, I'm actually surprised that he's still under contract. I actually thought he'd left, to be honest. So yeah, I mean, we didn't even know he he was still around because he hadn't been on one of these uh, releases or any of the big shows in forever. But here he is tagging with the mighty Wilbur. Um, who is this guy, uh, Mighty Wilbur? I, I thought for a second that it might be Uncle Elmer in a wig, but uh, did anybody know anything about this guy? I, you know, I, I don't. Um, he looked familiar though, um, and I, I kind of, I thought that he might be. Well, there, there's a lot of people that I thought that he might be, but uh, looking him up on the internet. Because that's what we do, is uh, is is almost a lost cause because I couldn't really find anything with a cursory search. I'm sure there's people out there yelling right now that know exactly where to go to do it. But um, here's what I did: I went to Wikipedia and looked at the Crockett Cup results, and his name isn't a link. <laughs> and so if if that's not a thing, then my knowledge is lost. No clue what's going on with this guy. And I could Google him right now, but I'm worried that that might overtax my computer and I would hang up on you guys. So that's not going to happen either. Any, any wiser, Chad? <laughs> do, you, do you know any better? I, I think this was the first and perhaps only time I'd ever seen him in my life. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's, it's a curious thing about look, you. Look like a generic fat dude. Uh, I, I, I'm sure Robert... Uh, can probably relate being from Georgia that uh, we've we've seen quite a few mighty Wilbur's so I think he may have a familiar look just from <laughs> yeah I mean I live. I probably saw eight dudes that look like him today <laughs> so he could have been any one of them well you know as a, as a professional researcher of sorts I'm always interested by um, by the limitations of the internet especially when it comes to things like this so um, the, the internet is a great mine of uh, uh, information for the same information. So, um, if you look up Jake the Snake Roberts, for example, you can go to probably about 15 million websites that have the same information about Jake the Snake Roberts on it. Um, and whatever inaccuracies are in the first uh, article are probably reproduced in every other article on Jake the Snake Roberts. And then you get a guy like Mighty Wilbur, who nobody knows anything about. Well, yeah, nobody knows anything anymore. Everybody just knows how to find stuff out. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, as somebody who, uh, yeah, I, I'm getting sick of writing an essay. Basically, just go to the library. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you cannot find proper research just by looking on Google. You know. <laughs> um, anyway, let's uh, let's let's move beyond that particular bugbear of mine. Um, so we have uh, Jimmy Valiant and the Mighty Wilbur versus. Team Old, Ivan Koloff, and Dick Murdoch. Um, and we get a brief shine segment from Valiant, and it's really brief on Koloff. Uh, Murdoch comes in, but quickly uh, gets the upper hand. He tags uh, Koloff back in, who uh, quickly loses it again, because Ivan Koloff seemingly can only ever sell in matches. Um, the But then what happens... Um, Wilbur manages to get a clothesline. I think we get a clip or something because out of nowhere, 
uh, I even get to sickle for the three on Valiant. Um, I didn't even know that uh, Ivan Koloff did the sickle, to be honest. Um, but that's it. That's it. Any thoughts on this match, Robert? Well, I, it establishes a um, a trope that they go back to for the rest of this videotape, where there are hundreds of shots of fans, and the cameraman always zeroes in on the attractive ladies, and and Tony Schiavone gets to say stuff like "Oh, hello there," you know, and be <laughs> gross about it. Um, so it, it just establishes that kind of fan reaction shot that's not necessarily tied to what you see and it becomes really obvious that every time you see somebody in the crowd you know that when they go back to the match it's going to be a hard edit to whatever the next sequence is yeah i mean we've seen some appalling editing uh, on our journey through uh, the nwa back catalog so far so if <laughs> i'm anything, sure you if, if anything this this crew technique is an upgrade on uh, Jim Riley's work that we've seen in the past. <laughs> Any thoughts in this match, Chad? Uh, I'm glad Robert mentioned that, because I did have a note later on that I think every female that went to these two shows was featured uh, with a close-up uh, by the camera, and I also think these cameramen uh, probably left the NWA and went to uh, AAA in Mexico, that promotion, because this was kind of the same type of style where you have these long pandering shots where uh, you may get somebody actually looking kind of interested in the match. You may not. You just don't know what you're getting there. Uh, I mean, this match was, we got, what, maybe two minutes of it. Uh, you know, nice to see Jimmy. Uh, certainly, I don't think this uh, helped your case, Parv, in becoming a Dick Murdoch believer in what we saw of him here. There just was nothing there. Uh, so, really nothing to this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've got nothing to add, really, other than it was fun to see Jimmy Valiant again coming out of the wilderness for this uh, meaningless uh, first-round Crockett Cup match. Yeah, um, I, guess, I guess Ivan getting a win is rare. But, yeah, and it's nice for uh, Ivan to get a pin as well. Yeah. Um, and did, yeah, did you know that he does the sickle? I, I've never seen Like, it's usually his partner who does the sickle. Yeah, he, he does. I know he does that in his WWWF uh, days. Right. He used the uh, clothesline, but uh, well, he's Russian, so I think he's contractually obligated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the the Kremlin requested that he use the sickle. So, <laughs> um, okay. So our second match here is uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, and for the first time, I believe, uh, on one of these shows, Ron Simmons. Uh, it's quite early for him to be cropping up. Um, versus, and uh, I'm ashamed to say that uh, Jason was correct last week and I was wrong. It's Rick Steiner and Mike Rotunda. I actually thought it might be uh, Steiner and Sullivan, given that Rotunda's the singles, getting the singles push here. Um, so Jason was right. Uh, Sullivan's just on the outside as the game the games master. The game you know, master. I never, I never got why the uh, the devil worship guy was a part of the school spirit squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think Jason mentioned this last week, that isn't the idea that he kind of lured them in, or like he turned, you know, that Rick Steiner is a pretty, um, has kind of mental problems, and uh, I Sullivan guess has exploited this in some way. And it's possible. I just, I mean, just you know, I don't know where you guys went to high school, but <laughs> the, uh, the, the kids that look like they might be into the devil... 
really didn't hang out with the kids who wore the Letterman's jackets that much. It's it's, it's a it's a bit of a stretch to buy the association here. But but is Rotunda really the jock that he's making out that he is? I I get the impression that he may have been like if he was on the football team, he may have been the guy who gets train change on his own, you know, and he's hanging well, out with he's hanging out with Jack Steiner who doesn't seem to be with it, you know, so maybe they are a group of, they're not a group of college jocks, but a group of actual mis- misfits, you know. Like Jim Ross sure did uh, waste no opportunity to tell us about the college careers of all four <laughs> of the men in the ring. That man loves to talk about college sports. So as we as we start off here, Rotunda gives us some uh, star jumps, or as you guys call them, jumping jacks. Um... You sounded so condescending when you said <laughs> sorry, sorry. Or as you guys call them, <sighs> jumping jumps. <laughs> no, I, I got an education last week because I, I, like, to me, they're star jumps, but apparently jumping jacks. Uh, <laughs> um, Jim, Jim Ross uh, points out that Williams and uh, Steiner are both all Americans. So does that mean that they were big football stars or something? Like, well, What's the All-Americans? Uh, that's a big deal, right? To be one of them? Yeah, I mean, essentially in college, um, you know, in, in uh, American football, there's 22 positions. Uh, so in college, they have a, a first-team All-American, which is essentially all the writers and whoever vote on the uh, player at each position they think was the best. So that's your first-team All-Americans. Then you have second team All Americans, third team All Americans, and so forth. Right. Uh, but now, I mean, I, I don't really. I mean, I think Williams was definitely a good college player. Uh, but now Simmons, he actually finished, I think, what fifth, maybe, in the Heisman Trophy voting, hmm. uh, which the Heisman Trophy is the highest uh, honor you can win as a college athlete. It's basically the MVP award for the college football season. Right. Uh, so him finishing fifth is a pretty big accomplishment, honestly. Yeah, and and just for my end, I mean, college football is a big deal in itself, right? People actually go and watch it. It's not De- like- definitely right here. I don't know if uh, if Robert is a uh, University of Georgia fan, but uh, I'm still uh, heartbroken over their loss Saturday. I, I, mean, I will I will only say that I work uh, very near the University of Georgia football stadium. And after years and years of working near there, anything that makes those people sad is okay by me. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Okay. You're just in the water, Robert. I, look, I still live in Athens. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I graduated from there, too, and I'm never going to leave. But I yeah, have seen... There's, there's a lot of you who's, no doubt. I have, I have seen more grown men vomit and urinate on sidewalks. I, I just... Sorry, man. I mean, <laughs> it, I'm so over it. I don't want to go breakfast club on you guys here, but would it be fair to say that, Chad, you're more towards the, the Mike Rotunda end of the spectrum and... Uh, 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 well, I'm, I'm not going to admit that I'm towards the Rick Steiner. <laughs> I will uh, gladly admit that I am very near the Kevin Sullivan end of the spectrum. <laughs> okay, so maybe more the Scott Steiner for me. Honestly, <laughs> we get um we get a uh, series of three point stances there. Have I called that right? 
uh, we, uh, Williams, um, uh, Williams and Steiner kind of go for a series of three-point stances. Uh, Williams could, seems to get the better of it, and, but then he hits the turnbuckle. Um, he takes a back drop. He gets some offense in. Simmons comes in, and uh, for this first, like you know, for about thirty seconds, I think Simmons looks quite good. This is the first time we've kind of seen anything from him. Um, now, would he have been quite green at this point? Uh, this is very early in his wrestling career, right, Ron Simmons? I think in '88 it was pretty early. Um, I'm not exactly sure when he made his debut, but it was, um, you know, it was a little while after that before he got the big push. You know, kind of in the early '90s is when he. Um, yeah, yeah, well, is I guess when he. I mean, I, I I literally thought that Doom was his first one, so I was really surprised to see him crop up here. I didn't I didn't even know that he was wrestling as early as 1988. Um, uh, so anyway, he comes in, uh, Rotunda comes in and does some body slams on, uh, on Simmons, uh, we get a headlock from Simmons, an arm drag, we get another three-point stance, um, and, uh, somehow he ends up, I don't know if there was a clip here, but Simmons ends up in the wrong corner of the ring. Uh, now, I, I couldn't help but notice that Randy Anderson's hair and general look is insane. <laughs> I have a note that just says, in all capital letters, Randy Anderson's hair. I'm very glad you pointed this out. <laughs> I mean, he looks ridiculous. I, I know he's one of your favorites, Chad. Uh, Randy, don't call me Pee-wee Anderson. Um, we get, I, now, I think we get a clip here. It's a pretty blatant clip. Uh, to all four men being in the ring all of a sudden. Uh, the games master, Kevin Sullivan, is uh, is there as well now. And he uh, nails Simmons outside with a gold spike. And um, Simmons gets counted out. And that's the end of the match. Chad, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, this was, again, pretty shitty of what we saw. Um, <laughs> I do a, uh, I did think Simmons didn't look that bad. The only other note is we kind of, there was a sequence where Simmons was in the corner and uh, you don't really see what happens. Uh, and uh, I mean, I can assume that one of the varsity club members pulled uh, Randy Anderson into the corner, yeah. but all of a sudden you just see uh, Anderson's ass come in and he essentially gives Simmons the uh, Rikishi stinky face. <laughs> Uh, right there in the corner, he practically sits on top of his head. So that was a uh, ridiculous little spot that made me laugh. But uh, yeah, not much to this match. And again, only about three minutes. Robert, I'm sorry to ask you to analyze this, but go on. Any thoughts? Oh, um, every time I see Steve Williams, he uh, he looks terrifying to me. Legitimately frightening. Um, he is, he and Terry Gordy, um, are two wrestlers that, that I always have thought that those guys are legitimate, just badasses. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, there's, there's, I'm ter I'm still terrified of them. I'm an adult grown human with a family and I'm still terrified of Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. I, 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 I think that they're really frightening men. Um, and also Ron Simmons, I mean, he, you can tell from this that, that he's destined for 
I mean, honestly, in this match, even though it's, it is, is not very good. Um, you can look at Ron Simmons and tell that he has a future and you, I think could be forgiven for thinking that his future was greater than what it turned out to actually be just based on his physique and his presence and, and kind of the way he's, you know, he's, he's by, by no means great in this match, but you, you could look at this guy and, and tell that things were going to happen. Yeah. He, the, he definitely has a, a certain star power um, already. And we, this is the first time we've seen him. I'd agree with that. Okay. So uh, the next match is um, now we should mention that since the last show, um, big things have been happening in the world of the Horsemen. Um, on Tully and our tag champs again. Um, after Barry Windham, if you remember, who won the tag uh, the tag belts with um, Luger, right? With yeah, Luger. it was Luger. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so Wyndham turned on Luger a couple of nights before this, uh, during a tag match, to give Arn and Tully the, the belts. I believe that's what happened. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty completely dumb to uh, just quickly from the pop they received at the end of the Clash One match to uh, we're less than a, we're uh, less than a month after that match, and they already made the uh, hot shot to turn him. I don't really understand the rationale, but that's kind of Dusty Rhodes 1988 booking, so. Right. And I, I, I was thinking doing this, that it's, it's interesting, having watched a lot of this now, and I, I've actually seen quite a lot of the the 85-86 Horseman run, you know, the formation and the run with uh, Ole and Arn, um, how the WWE tends to remember the 88 version of the Horseman with Barry Windham, and how a lot of people say, "Well, that, this is that. This is my favorite version of the Horseman." Um, any thoughts on this? Like, you, I mean, it just seems. To, I mean, I know we haven't got onto the bulk of that run yet, but it seems strange. Well, to it's there's a lot of revisionist history there because of the feelings between Ole Anderson and Vince McMahon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, you know, there's there's absolute vile hatred between. Well, especially coming from Ole Anderson, who by all accounts is you know just a horrible, mean-tempered old man at this point. But uh, yeah, there's there's just hatred um, from Ole Anderson. So I, I don't think that Vince is gonna. You know, Vince won. He can rewrite history to say whatever he wants it to say. And it seems that what he wants it to say is that you know Mulligan's kid was the best four horsemen, mm. not uh, not Ole. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it's one of the biggest examples of revisionism because. To me, having somebody who's been steeped in this stuff for uh, quite a few months now this year, I've been kind of focused on this period of NWA, and I think I pretty much think the definitive version is the original lineup with with Ole and Arn, Tully as a singles guy, and Flair on top. I, I agree with that. That's that's the uh, that's the horseman. And, any thoughts on that, Chad? Um, I agree with what Robert said. As far as the uh, version, um, I, th I think uh, you may come around more uh, to Wyndham being with him with what we see coming up some of the shows. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a lot of good performances, but I would say definitely from like an angle and a unit standpoint, as far as the faction, the uh, original Four Horsemen was the uh, best unit of the Four Horsemen. 
So anyway, speaking of Barry Windham, his uh, his brother here, Kendall Windham, is uh, on the opposing team, uh, tagging with the Italian Stallion, who's pretty much um, a jobber's jobber, right? The Italian well, stallion. he did um, he he did have the word Italy on his tights, so. <laughs> Just in case you forgot who was who, if you if you see the guy that that has Italy written on his ass, that's the Italian stallion. Yeah, I mean the Italian stallion was. Uh, I always thought that he had a better body than he did uh, here. He looked pretty. Um, you know, he wasn't in great shape at this point in his career. Are you thinking that because you're 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 thinking maybe he was Sylvester Stallone? Well, just with a name like the Italian stallion, you know, I I thought he might be in better shape and. Um, isn't there a WWF jobber who goes by this name as well, or something similar? Or maybe I'm thinking of the is that the Young Stallions. Who who is the other partner there? Paul Roma and. Uh, well, he definitely uh, uh, had some stance in the WWF as the Italian Stallion. Do you remember the Young Stallions? Who is the other? Yeah, stallion? was that uh, Jim Powers? Jim Powers, right. Yeah, I'm, I was thinking, because Jim Powers had a pretty decent body, uh, and maybe I was thinking of him. Um, anyway, it, it, uh, I'm right in thinking that this uh, chap is pretty much a jobber uh, in NWA here in 1988. Um, so, can anyone pick out a winner here before we uh, before we continue? Any Anyone want to take a bet? <laughs> um, I, you know, I think the I think the stallions do. Um, well, we do get a surprising amount of Kendall Windham being on top to start. He works Tully's arm, then he works Arn's arm, um, then he tags in the stallion, who very quickly loses the advantage. Um, Tully comes in. Uh, we get some jabs from the stallion. Kendall comes in. He's nailed by an elbow from Tully. Arn hits the spinebuster. Uh, I believe we get a clip here. Um, Kendall is kicked out. Uh, we get a hot tag to the stallion. Uh, a brief comeback. <laughs> a brief comeback. Um, but Arn hits the DDT for the one, two, three. Um, and I think the mark of a, a true like a true jobber is if you're going out to Arn's DDT. I think Arn. Like a move like Arn's DDT is only gonna is is one of those moves that will never ever in a million years put out a guy like Sting, for example. I mean, a, a face with any sort of push is immune to that DDT as a as a finisher, whereas somebody but, like the Italian uh, Stallions going out. Did you see it? I mean, the Spinebuster and the DDT that that Arn Anderson was throwing out in in '88 through really. The, the early 90s when when I stopped paying attention I mean, they, they looked devastating yeah um, amazing there's there's no amount of, of knowing that you know knowing what we know now behind the scenes it's it's worked or whatever you want to call it there's no way that that you know that it, it just looks so forceful and and fluid and and Arn Anderson I I should stop now because we'll be on you know, we'll be on this for another four hours if I get going on Arn Anderson. But um, I will say that the only wrestler that I've ever known who looked exactly the same at the beginning and end of his career is Arn Anderson. Yeah, he he really does as well. 
he kept the physique. He he didn't. He really didn't even seem to age that much. I mean, yeah, his hair got a little thinner, and you know, he he started to succumb to gravity a little bit. But Arn Anderson looked great from from start to finish. Even you know, the very very early worldwide uh, wrestling stuff. I think it was uh you know when he was when he was still Marty Lundy, you know, before he became um, an Anderson. He looked the same all the way through, and he was great. Absolutely can't say anything bad about him. He looked great. Chad? Yeah, I thought this was, uh, I mean, definitely the best match we'd seen so far. Stallion, uh, I mean, just a quick tangent on him. I, I mean, I, you know, I don't think he looks, I mean, as I was watching this, I was like, he clearly does not look Italian at all. Um, so then I, I had to go to the internet and look it up and yeah, he was born in North Carolina. So, you know, not exactly much of an Italian heritage in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, but, uh, but he, he actually did look pretty good with his, uh, he had a flying back elbow and then the uh, DDT looked really great the way he took the bump of that and the explosiveness that Anderson hit it with. Uh, that, that, I thought that was a good kind of flash finish. Uh, so with the clips we saw, this looked like a pretty decent match, actually. Yeah, no, no, it was good. I mean, don't, don't, I wasn't trying to sell Arn's DDT short. He obviously throws a th- throws a great DDT. All I was saying is that in the in in the way that these things are booked, um, that DDT doesn't usually give you a three count against against most kind of main event type face teams, if that makes any sense. I mean, what I'm saying is is the fact that uh, the fact that the DDT was getting a pin here um, was telling you that this was a a lower card team. Right, it's it's like it's like Ric Flair's figure four. You know, he he doesn't win matches with the figure four when he's in the ring with one of the Road Warriors or with Sting or with Luger. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, and uh, th- I'm just re- reminded of this other Italian wrestler called uh, Salvatore. What's his name? Uh, Salvatore Sincere. <laughs> is it Salvatore Sincere? I, I, I think so. Salvatore, are you talking about the mid '80s WF guy? Oh no 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 no! I'm talking about the mid '90s with kind of peak and. Uh... He had kind of pink and uh, white tights and then a little hat. Kind of, I mean, I guess at one point. <laughs> a little hat. <laughs> I. The, the, guy, the guy I've got in mind is called, I think it's like, um, it, he, I, watch an, I watch an episode of uh, TNT from 1984 where he spends uh, the majority of the episode building a little boat in the corner. Um, <laughs> Wait, did you dream this? That's not real. No, it's, I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, Salvatore Belomo, um, who who kind of looks a little bit like the Italian stallion, and and was pretty much uh, a kind of jobber like him as well. Anyway, let, let's uh, let's move on because uh, we get now the Road Warriors versus. Um, the Jive Tones, uh, a tag team that we've not encountered before, but it's our old friend, uh, Pez Watley, aka Shaska Watley, 
uh, tagging with Tiger Conway here. Um, do teams get any lower mid card than this? Do you think? Guys, I'm going to come clean with you. Pez Watley is probably on my top ten list of favorite wrestlers ever. <laughs> I I'm sorry. Every look, it gets that reaction every time I say it. I don't know what it is about him. He's. I will admit that he's not good. I will admit that his physique could use some work. I love Pistol Pez Watley. I just do. So, sorry. I mean, maybe maybe the podcast is over now. <laughs> but <laughs> that's the truth. And he looks terrible in this match. Just messy. He stinks everything up. And, of course, the Road Warriors are going to tear him and Tiger Conway apart. But I, I love the jive tones, but especially Pez Watley. I love that guy. Sorry. Uh, um, well, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say, I'll just mention what happens in this. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you guys hate me so much now. Know, it's great. No, I mean, I, 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 am not the sort of fan that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy when people uh, love Pears Watley. I'm not the sort of smart fan who'll get angry about something like this. <laughs> um, but I do find it quite funny though. Because <laughs> uh, I can't really think about much about Pez Watley that there is to like. I mean, he's kind of like, um, I, I hate to say this, but he's kind of like a shit Coco Beware. <laughs> <laughs> without the bird. Yeah, without, so. without, without any form of gimmick or, or talent. Well, here's the thing. I kind of agree with you. But I, I, I cannot explain it. I can't back it up, and I can't justify it. But I love him. Every time I see him, I, I just light up, really happy about him. So, so in this match, the Warriors dominate the start. Hawk Gorilla presses Conway. Animal comes in. Um, the Jive Tones get on top for a while. Um, and they go for a double leg sweep, which is on Animal, which is reversed. Hawk comes in, he drop kicks Watley, uh, that gets a two count, um, and then he hits uh, a clothesline from the top on Sheska for the pin. Chad, any 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 thoughts on this or on Robert's love of pistol pairs, Watley? I uh, he he can have that. I got a feeling <laughs> the uh, the the boat that is filled with. Uh, Pez Watley love is, uh, he's kind of, there's kind of a saying, uh, more dancing room for me. There's definitely <laughs> a lot of dancing room for Robert uh, with that one. Uh, this, I think if you want to point to a match where you will see no selling from the Road Warriors, this is as good a match as any to point to because uh, it's about two minutes of them practically throwing these guys around and then picking up the victory. Um. I, it's just occurred to me. Do you think Robert is possibly the world's biggest Pez Watley fan, just based on the fact that he likes him? I don't know, and I and it's kind of I, I guess I've never really had. I'm kind of jealous in some ways because uh, I mean, obviously with these podcasts, it's kind of become a running joke of my Jimmy Valiant love. 
Uh, but, you know, Jimmy definitely had a lot of fans. But I, I can't really think of anybody else. You know, it's like, I guess there is somebody out there that's the world's biggest, uh, you know, Quang fan or just, you know, somebody. <laughs> but uh, but I, I've never had that. So I get not a, not a bad market to kind of, you know, find your niche in. I'm sure there's a lot of available guys you can be a champion of, but uh, I, I, kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I, I know we don't do a lot in the way of asking for feedback uh, on this show, but if you're the world's biggest Tiger Conway fan, you know, write to us and uh, we'll give you a shout out on this show. <laughs> maybe we should, maybe we, I, I do think that legitimately, uh, Robert, you're probably in the world's top five Pairs Watley fans. If, not, if we're hand, if we're handing out um, the title of the world's biggest Pez Watley fan, I will gladly accept it. <laughs> um, Nobody else will want it. Oh, well, I mean, you know, but I bet you there is somebody. There's some diehard there somewhere. <laughs> there's probably some dude, you know, his mum or something, who's a bigger fan. I'll take that challenge. Um, so the next match is uh, Larry Zabisco versus the fantastic uh, Larry Zabisco and Al Perez with Gary Hart um, versus the Fantastics. Um, and this is our first look at Al Perez. Um, he works over Rogers to start. We get a scoop slam from Zabisco. Uh, Rogers comes back with a drop kick and an arm drag. Fulton comes in. Uh, Perez comes back in. Uh, we get a nice back and forth stuff between those two. Um, we get a German suplex from Perez, uh, which gets a one count. And I was surprised to see the German uh, suplex busted out by, by Perez there. Uh, I actually think Perez looks quite good during this match. Um, I, I thought he looked great. Uh, are you uh, are you going to proclaim you're the world? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, no, see, the thing is, is that um, <laughs> in in a world where people like the like did Dylan from uh, pro wrestling only exist, you, you know that there's some big Perez, you know, champion out there somewhere because he can actually work uh, a little bit uh, on this evidence. Um, but Pez Watley, you know. He's the sort of guy that, like, that's a real, that's a real niche there. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so Zabisco comes in. We get a shoulder breaker from him. Um, the heels uh, kind of do a good job on Fulton here. Uh, Fulton gets a flash pin with an inside cradle on Zabisco as Rogers drop kicks Perez out of the ring for the win. So, uh, Robert, any thoughts on this one? Tommy Rogers. Is uh is really good at the um not reversal but coming out of the back body drop and landing on his feet. Um, even though this match was heavily edited, we saw that about two or three times. And don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but we're we're gonna see it again. Um, the it was also uh, there was a sequence in the middle of what we saw of this match where uh, Fulton and Perez were in the ring, and it was really quick and high energy and, and very well done. Obviously, you have to wonder how much was edited out of that, but um, the two of those guys in the ring worked really well together, and, and it, was, it was really enjoyable. Chad? Yeah, I agree with that. This uh, Again, the clips that we're seeing... Uh, got progressively, or getting progressively better, and I, I really loved the finish of this match. I thought it was a really clever finish where 
Fulton goes for the uh, the uh, little roll up on um, on Zabisco. Perez catches his arm, which is a smart move, and then you just see Tommy Rogers come out of nowhere and nail Perez right in the face with a drop kick. Uh, he goes flying, and then uh, we pick up the the Fantastics, pick up the victory. Kind of, uh, I was kind of a little surprised to see Zabisco get pinned. Mm. Um, since we just saw him win the uh, Western States Heritage title, we all know how prestigious <laughs> that belt was. Uh, so to see him get pinned three months later, I was, I was kind of surprised that Perez didn't take the fall. But I really love that finish. I thought it was clever, uh, unique. I don't think I'd ever seen it done before. Uh, so this was some fun clips. It, it, I was my thing. I was most surprised by was uh, was Perez. He actually looked like a decent hand in this match. I've n- never really heard much about this guy, but he seemed alright to me. Um, I don't know. It, I mean, do, I don't think he sticks around for long. I think he may he may not be on too many other shows. So, um, but you know, there there aren't too many guys uh, around this time doing German suplexes. Um. Yeah, I, I will mention uh, here that Meltzer uh, complains uh, that the Fantastics aren't as over as they should be at this point because too many people think they're Rock and Roll Express replacements. Um, but the crowd seemed to love them on their way to the ring. I mean, that 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 hug lap around the ring before they got it, and Turner Home Video wanted you to see all of that because. <laughs> This match must have had some real dead spots in it for us to have gotten the entirety of the Fantastics entrance. Yeah, I mean, they see, they seem pretty over to me uh, as the way it was presented, but Meltzer is saying they're not over as, as 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 he expected. They aren't over nearly as well as I expected, uh, he says, because too many little girls see them as Rock and Roll Express replacements. Now, <laughs> um, I, I wonder if... Uh, any little girls in 1988 were discerning enough to think that the Fantastics were Rock and Roll Express replacements. The the young girls that Meltzer created um, in that audience in his imagination when he was writing this, they, they definitely did. Uh, because I'm sure the you know, preteen girls thought exactly the way Dave Meltzer thought when they were approaching their wrestling. It's, what, I mean... I mean, objectively speaking, if I was a little girl in 1988, I prefer the Fantastics to the Rock and Roll Express. Because, as I've said many times, the Rock and Roll Express, um, as two men, just are not... They, there's no way in hell that they're sex symbols. I think it's one of the one of the great um, uh, strokes of booking genius that those guys ever got over as uh, being men that girls scream at looking the way that they do. At least the Fantastics are pretty, you know, I think uh, Rogers is a pretty good looking guy. You know, if I, if I was to pick, you know, who's the who's the best looking wrestler on the show? Um, you know, it'd probably be between Rogers and Luger, maybe? I don't know. Maybe maybe we can introduce an award uh, at the end of today's show, best looking wrestler. Um, uh, Pez Wadley. <laughs> I, I, I guess one similar... Big Murdoch. <laughs> Yes, Ron Simmons may be in with a shout of that. Okay, um, so the next match here we get uh, Sting and Luger. Um, Wyndham's now a horseman, so... And I think 
in the scheduling for this show, originally um, uh, Sting was meant to be tagging with Ronnie Garvin and Luger was meant to be tagging with uh, Wyndham, but uh, instead Luger tags with Sting in a, t in a team that will endure uh, across many different eras of, of wrestling, as we'll see. And uh, as you were talking about great tag matches, I, I'm still a fan of the uh, of the Luger Sting versus Steiner's match, uh, the famous one from uh, 1991. But I, I guess we'll come on to that in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> so uh, Sting and Luger versus Ivan Koloff and Dick Murdoch, uh, who have Paul Jones in their corner, uh, and Ross calls this a, a match of uh, young versus old. Luger dominates Ivan to start. He uh, goes to Gorilla press him, but can't quite kind of get get it. So he decides to slam him down on the canvas instead. Sting comes in. He does an armbar. Murdoch comes in and does a hammerlock. Uh, Sting breaks it, slams him. Murdoch comes back. Ivan uh, distracts the ref as Murdoch chokes Sting with a chain. We get a great kind of cheaty little sequence from the wily old heels here. Um, Murdoch nails Sting with a chair outside, and I noticed that it's the um, red padded chair, not the usual kind of steel chairs that we get. Um, Sting, we get Sting a splash on Murdoch, and I couldn't help but notice that this name, this move didn't have a name at this point. They were just saying Sting does his move. Um, they, they said it a few times on commentary tonight, so I'm guessing the Stinger splash hadn't been called that yet. Um, all four men come in. And uh, Murdoch goes for a pin, but it's reversed, and Sting gets the three. Uh, Chad, I'll go to you first on this one. Uh, th this, again, I thought was fine. Pretty frantic. Uh, the clips on this one seem to really jump around from certain sequences. I thought this was a pretty good... Uh, Honestly, and if you want to look at a five minutes of a snapshot of what Murdoch can do, he gave some really nasty elbows to Sting on the outside where it looked like he dropped the elbow right on his throat. I loved his kind of goofy selling of the Stinger Splash where he kind of wobbled out like he was just, you know, he's in a saloon and got shot in the OK Corral, kind of wobbled out and then fell forward. Uh, so that, that that's really the main takeaway from this match that I had. Rob up. Uh, I mean it's uh, it's hard for me to get on board with Luger or Sting. Um, I uh, I even wrote about this in the notes that I was taking. That uh, while I was watching this match, I got an email that my gas bill was available to uh, to view online, and I actually clicked on it. So maybe I guess I'd rather watch my gas bill than this match. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, uh, I did notice that there were quite a lot of references by Jim Ross on commentary to how much uh, Dick Murdoch drinks. He said, like, <laughs> he, he he mentioned that you know, uh, he, he mentioned like uh, Murdoch's weight at some point, give or take a six pack that he might have had the night before. There was quite a lot of this kind of. Uh, notion of him as a kind of barroom drinker type guy. Um, so is that part of Murdoch's overall kind of gimmick, if he has one, or image? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's basically known as kind of a 
uh, you know, essentially a, one of these kind of cowboys that if, if you if you frequent bars around this area, uh, you're going to see kind of a Murdoch-type character if you go to the right one. Somebody who's kind of sitting in the corner. Uh, I mean, and Murdoch was a loudmouth and a blo- uh, boaster, too, in a lot of his promos. So, I, I mean, that's why I think, in a lot of ways, the characteristics of Murdoch's character and gimmick I'm really able to resonate with because... Uh, I've seen it so many times. <clears throat> and Luger wasn't in this match much at all. Um, this was this was mostly Sting versus a couple of guys. I, I don't I, I don't remember. And again, I was definitely reading my gas bill for part of it, but it it just didn't seem like Luger was was really a huge part of this match. Yeah, yeah. And the clips we saw, he didn't do uh, a lot. And the uh, power slam situation that did not look good so that was uh, kind of weird and, and I so. wonder because they're resting multiple times tonight um, or are they I can't was this at the Greensboro show or the, the night before I guess it would have been the night before right there's no real excuse for it this is a round one or round two match I think so it would have happened on the 22nd uh, let's see they're great I mean is this this is another thing that goes to the overhaul uh, tape. It was so hard to get a sense of any sort of brackets, any sort of rounds, because like when the uh, in the horseman match, it said they advanced to round three. Yeah, this says that uh, Lex Luger and Sting advanced to round three, but this is the first time we've seen them. So it's it's just a kind of a disaster to keep up with what the hell's going on with this whole tournament. And this is a general point about JCP style presentation on these tapes versus the WWF style um, where, I mean, WrestleMania 4, for example, you always have a very clear sense of the tournament brackets. Right. Progressing. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, you know, we are one month from WrestleMania 4 where you had, you know, Vanna White every 10 minutes uh, going over the bracket uh, and ignoring the advances of Gene Okron. So I don't, I don't understand here. I mean, it doesn't take much to put up a little graphic yeah, to show where we're at. And some very basic points of presentation. Like, for example, how about a little clip of the Barry Windham turn near the start of this match? So crucial to under, uh, providing a little bit of context to what the hell is going on uh, for much of the evening. Vince. Yeah, I mean, because, and again, this is um, maybe getting ahead of myself, but they had no problem showing us the entire final match of the Bunkhouse Stampede, which had nothing to do with the tag tournament. But, yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, totally nonsensical. And uh, Chad and I have actually come across this before, where in the middle of, uh, I think it was the last Rocket Cup, they showed us three Magnum TA matches that had nothing to do with the tournament at all. And that ha- actually happened about 18 months before uh, before the tape was released. Um, so, yeah, this is a... I, I, I just think they have no clue as to... It's not difficult to see why, when you look at things like this, why uh, WWF kind of won uh, this particular war. When it comes to, you know, just really basic points of presentation uh, that they don't get right. 
Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.